today is Palm Sunday, okay? And if you don't know what Palm Sunday is about, in our Christian faith, it is the day that Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem, and the crowds shouted praise to him, Hosanna, which means Savior, okay? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And today, because we know the backstory, okay, of that event, we're going to celebrate. And we're going to do it this way. We're going to celebrate Good Friday. Because truly, Jesus was coming in with his face set to go to the cross. And we're going to celebrate it in the 21st century this way. When I say Hosanna, you say, great is the Lord. Okay? Let's just, let's just try this. Okay? Hosanna. I would have expected a little louder than that. I mean, you know, just look. Hosanna. Wow, that is good. When I was growing up, I didn't have the foggiest idea what Good Friday was all about. I'd heard that it was the day that Jesus died. I said, well, what's so good about Good Friday? As I studied it, I thought, yeah, especially when he, for 24 hours, went without sleep and water. And how he was beaten and tortured and given a crown of thorns and scourged 39 different times and then murdered on a cross. I thought, what in the world is so good about Good Friday? Well, here's what was good. He did it for you. The problem was that I didn't really realize that as a young person, how good Good Friday really was. In Hebrews 12, it says that he did it for you. Take a look at Hebrews 12, verse 2. We must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes us uh, and makes our faith complete. He endured the shame of being nailed to the cross because he knew that later on he would be glad that he did. Why was Jesus glad that he did? Why did he go through all that suffering and pain, all that torture and death? Because of all the benefits that you and I would derive. As I was prepping for this message, I began to think, I wonder how many people have not claimed their inheritance because they were unaware of it. You know what that number is on average? $60 million a year go in the way of inheritance unclaimed. Now imagine that for a moment. Imagine you have inherited $60 million and no one told you about it. And so as a result, you live life at a lower standard of living. Folks, in the very same way, if you and I don't know the benefits that we have derived as a result of Jesus' death, guess what? We're going to miss them. And we, too, will live at a lower standard of living. When Cheryl and I got married, we took out life insurance. I just, after I took it out on myself and it was bigger than her policy by three times, 
I started watching her like a hawk. When our kids were born, my father-in-law bought paid up whole life insurance for them so they could go to college. When our grandkids came, Cheryl and ours, we bought life insurance, whole life insurance, so that when it's paid up, they'll have a way to go to school. When Cheryl and I sat down for that very first time and took out policies, we learned a phrase called death benefits and how our kids would inherit a certain amount of money. When I heard that for the first time, I thought, death benefits or life insurance, it ought to be called death insurance, okay? Because it's my death that's going to cause them to get this boatload of cash. What I want to do today is take a look at the death benefits uh, to you of Jesus dying on the cross because if you don't know them, guess what? You won't be able to enjoy them. And Jesus paid for them. And if you don't know them, folks, you won't be able to enjoy the 50 benefits. Do you realize that there are 50 benefits that you derive as a result of Jesus' death? It is worth celebrating on Palm Sunday. Today, I don't have time for 50. We're going to do three, okay? And the first one is this. Total forgiveness of everything that I've ever done. One of the first benefits that you and I derive, that we ought to shout about, is that we have total forgiveness of everything I've done. Hosanna. Pastor George, what's your life like? It's like herding cats. That's what it is. Hosanna. Why? Because we have total forgiveness for everything that I've ever done. Folks, even if there wasn't a heaven, it would be worth receiving this benefit just to have a clear conscience and not carry guilt and shame and regret and remorse around with you. You and I weren't designed for that. We weren't designed to be plagued with guilt. Take a look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. God wiped out the charges and canceled the record of all the times we've disobeyed God's commands. Jesus took our guilt on his own body and nailed it to the cross. I mean, can you imagine, maybe after you leave church today, when you get home, someone calling you up and saying, guess what? That mortgage of a half a million dollars that you have on your house, I just paid it off. Or all the debts that you have in the way of credit cards and everything else, guess what? I just paid it off. This is what Jesus did for you. He paid your debt. He paid for everything that you've ever done wrong. Every misspoken word, every mistake, every thought, every action. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7. In Christ, we are set free by the blood of his death. And so we have forgiveness of sins because of God's rich grace. Let me use another metaphor. Let's just say that you were convicted of a horrible crime. And you have been sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. It is that bad. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, there's no way I'm going to get out of this. 
But just at that moment, someone comes up and says, hey, I want you to know, I love you. And I am willing to take your place and do your time. That is what Jesus did for you. And it says that in doing so that you got forgiveness and you got freedom. Why? Because of God's rich grace. What is the grace of God? It is a gift that you will never earn. A gift that you don't deserve. A gift that you can't bargain or beg or bribe to get. Grace is God giving you what you need and not what you deserve. Folks, if I got what I deserve, I wouldn't be here. And neither would you. Everything that you have ever done and everything that you will ever receive is a result of God's grace. Take a look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Now notice in that verse that he didn't die for his sins. Why? Because he didn't have any. Jesus was God's son. He was perfect. So why is he dying? For our sins. The first benefit that you and I derive from the death of Jesus Christ is we have total forgiveness when we say yes to Jesus Christ, when we accept him in our hearts, when we drop him from our head to our heart. And that is worth shouting about. Hosanna! Now, the, now, I'm sure that you and I have heard of that one. It's pretty common in the South. But have you heard of the other 49? Let me give you the second one. The second benefit that you get from Christ's death on the cross, which is this, the deep healing power of Jesus in your life. The deep healing power of Jesus in your life. Now, I am sure that you know that we all need healing. And when I talk about healing, I am not just talking about physical healing. I am also talking about a healing of, a, of wounds that are unseen. That you and I may know about, but... Others can't see. God sees them, but others don't. Guess what? God sent Jesus not only to forgive you of your sins so that you would be in right relationship with him, but he came to heal your wounds. Take a look at 1 Peter 2, 24. Jesus personally took our sins in his body on the cross so we could die to the, gr to the grip of sin in our lives. And be free to live in the right way. You are healed by his wounds. Will you circle the phrase, be free to live in the right way? What, though, does it mean that you are healed by his wounds? Well, Peter is quoting out of the Old Testament. 
from the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Christ. He is predicting what this future Messiah, this future Savior, is going to do. Take a look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he, that is Jesus, was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. And he was whipped so we could be healed. There it is. To be healed. What's he talking about there? Folks, this is called redemptive suffering. It is when you suffer for someone else so that they don't have to. It is when you take on their pain to prevent them from experiencing it. And we know what that feeling is like, do we not? Have there not been times in our life, maybe of a loved one, one of our kids, maybe a parent, and they're suffering some kind of pain. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe an accident has happened. And we have said to ourselves and maybe even verbalized, I wish it were me. I wish I could take their place. I wish they wouldn't have to go through this. Folks, we know those feelings of redemption. But Jesus just didn't feel it. He did it. He is exhibit A of redemptive suffering. This is huge. And so I want to explain this. When God made the world, there was no suffering, no sadness, no sorrow, no sickness. There was no depression, no discouragement, no despair. Folks, there was no death. Because we hadn't rebelled yet. But we did. We thumbed our nose at God and we said, God, guess what? I want to do what I want to do, when I do it, where I want, where I want to do it, and with whom I want to do it. Because God, I want to let you know something. I think I know what will make me happier than you do. And so as a result, we broke the system. And today, everything is broken. Our whole world is broken. The weather is broken. Would anyone like to give a story about that one? The economy is broken. Our government is broken. Anyone want to share about immigration? Our bodies are broken. Finances are broken. Philosophers call this the fall of man. The Bible says, though, that Jesus, God's son, came to earth to start to restore what was broken. He just didn't come to restore our relationship with him. No, he came to restore everything. All of creation. He restored relationships. Restore our broken minds. Why? Because he cares about it all. And so he came to restore it all. That is why as you focus in on Jesus' ministry... A huge part of it is about healing. If you read the Gospels, you will see again and again and again and again one healing after another across the board in all kinds of different areas. Take a look at Matthew 9, verse 35. When Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the Jewish synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Will you circle teaching, 
preaching, and healing. One-third of Jesus' ministry was healing. Why? Because Jesus doesn't just care about your relationship with the Father. He also cares about your body, health. He cares about your mind. That's why I taught on education last week. And he cares also about your soul, your spirit. Christianity is a preaching, teaching, and healing faith. When you go to a different country, oftentimes you will find that the first hospital, the first school, the first church were started by Christians. Why? Because we believe in a preaching, teaching, and healing faith. Now we know that not everything gets healed when we want it to, don't we? Folks, there are times I have been asked, and I do, I pray for healing in people's lives. And it doesn't happen. They pass. They die. The Bible tells us to ask. It doesn't say just because we ask, we're going to get everything answered the way we want to. But one day, he will fulfill his promises. And everybody is going to be healed. There's not going to be any more death. Now, here's what the Bible says. It says that all creation... And that's us, is groaning. Kind of like waking up on Monday morning and having to go to work. And waiting to be restored. Why? Because everything is broken. In Romans 8, 23, 26, it says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait. Oh boy, do we wait. Wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He is saying not everything and not everybody is going to be healed right now, but it will happen ultimately. One day in the future. And so on Thursday when you come, on your own, free will. 6.30, to 6.30 in the morning to 6.30 at night. You can come in and not just celebrate the past. But folks, you can celebrate the future. The past of what Jesus did and the benefits that are to come. But in the meantime, between now and the future, we can receive help through God's presence. Take a look at Luke 15 or Luke 5 verse 17. The power of the Lord was present. Will you circle that word? For Jesus to heal the sick. Jesus is present right now to bring healing. So let me ask a very personal question. Where do you need healing in your life? Where do you need healing? Some of us have been hurt. 
And we carry around memories from that hurt and we rehearse them in our mind again and again and again. We go over them and over them and over them. And maybe that hurt and those memories come from a parent or a partner or some professional in our life. Guess what? You need healing because you have broken emotions. Some of you need physical healing because you have broken bodies. Some of you have made some bad financial decisions and you have broken finances and so you need financial healing. Some of you need relational healing. Your marriage is going south because you exist or are living within a broken relationship. The secret, the secret truth is this. We all, do we not, have hidden wounds within us. When I go to the mall, I am a student of human behavior. I love to just sit and watch people. I've been watching a lot of people at the mall to understand parent and children dynamics and reading about it for the upcoming series. I like to study people. And when I see groups of people, I think there are a lot of walking wounded people and I would be one of them as well. When I see and think of the walking wounded, I oftentimes think, why is it that people don't run to the great physician? Why isn't they, why isn't, why don't they trust him with what they have, he has said about beginning the healing process in their life? Why don't they do that? As a pastor, I've been around 30 about 39 years, and I have talked literally, I think, with thousands of people. And today, nothing surprises me. Folks, I, I have heard it all. And what I have discovered is that all of the, these different types of brokenness, there is a common thread amongst all of them. You can be spiritually broken. You can be emotionally broken. You can be financially broken. You can be relationally broken. And the one emotion that brings the greatest degree of healing, do you know what it is? Gratitude. Gratitude will bring healing, the greatest amount of healing in your life. When you begin to be grateful, not for the hurt. If you are that way, you need to go see somebody. but for the person who can heal it. Hosanna. He is the great physician. And healing starts with an attitude of gratitude for who he is. I'm just as convinced that the most detrimental emotion is anger and resentment and bitterness, holding on to a grudge because when you do that, you're not hurting the other person, you are hurting yourself. When you hold on to a grudge, to a hurt, to some resentment in your life, it's like drinking poison and hoping they die. Folks, it doesn't work that way. When you are resenting someone, your stomach is churning and your ulcer is burning, and it 
robs you of energy. You experience fatigue and frustration. I say this, let it go. Forgive them. And yes, forgiveness isn't fair, but it sure is awfully healing. I could tell you story after story after story of people who forgave and God began to restore their life physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. And not through some, I don't know, healing service by some evangelist, but through some quiet moment in their life. And they said, God, I'm choosing to forgive them right now. I have sat in people's homes where the partners, where the people, the marriage, spouses are living in separate bedrooms as far apart as possible. I go in the same house and one meets me at the door and I talk and then the next one comes in after they leave. And they're experiencing all kinds of brokenness physically. I ask them oftentimes, do you believe that God can heal you? And they say, well, I don't know. And I tell them, guess what? I do. I don't know if he will or not. And I don't know why God chooses to heal some and not others, but I do believe that he heals. But I know that God will not heal you until you get rid of the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that is in your heart. And I have had people break down and start crying. Pastor George, that's what I want. And I have led them in a prayer where they have prayed to receive Christ, to drop Christ from just a thought into their heart and to ask him to give them power to forgive. And when they have done that, I have seen the anger just flow out of them and the love of God flow in them. And after a period of time, matter, in, in fact, in a few weeks, their countenance has changed. They, they, they've gotten involved in biblical community. They start serving and their marriage starts coming back together. Folks, you and I don't know what God will do until we surrender our life to him and we begin doing what God has told us to do. Hosanna! Because he offers us Total forgiveness. He offers deep healing. The third benefit out of 50, this is just part one of the Easter message, is he gives us true freedom. And what I mean by true freedom is that he gives you the power to break free from controlling forces. Folks, this is huge. This is bigger than what you and I think because the truth is this, that we don't realize how much we are controlled by things and by other people. And it happens all the time. We, are, we let our moods control us. Hey, why'd you do that? Because I felt like it. Feelings aren't always right. We let the approval of others control us in the way we walk, in the way we talk, in the clothes that we wear. Obviously, I'm not affected by that. In the cars that we drive, in the houses that we 
we build, in the words that we share. We let the approval of, or we, we let the approval of people who are dead control us. We let our past control us. The past is past. We can learn from the past, but we should never allow the past to control us. We let our fears control us. There are things that you and I would attempt to do, but our fear gets in the way of them. We let our memories control us, the good ones and the bad ones. We let weather control us. We let the devil control us. We let money control us. We let sex control us. We get into all kinds of relationships because of the quiver in my liver, okay? We let our old nature control us. If we know the Lord, there are two competing forces working within us. The force of our old nature that says, be selfish, be self-centered. Life is all about you. You know the new trinity, me, myself, and I. Guess what that's called? It's called pride. And I is the middle letter. It's all about me, myself, and I. And the battle is with God's spirit that says, it's not about you. These two competing forces go at one another for those who love the Lord. And the Bible talks a lot about this. Take a look at Romans chapter 7. 15 through 18. I don't really understand myself, Paul said, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Do you identify with that? It sounds like me on a diet, honestly. It really does, okay? I know what I ought to do, but do I do that? No way. I'm not going to, yeah. But, and I know what I shouldn't eat, but do, do I not eat that? No, no, that's, well, I want that, okay? Those potato chips last night, oh, man, they were really good, okay? Sometimes willpower isn't enough, is it? Sometimes we need something more powerful than willpower to fight against our old nature. This is the third benefit that Jesus came to give you and I. The power to break free from the controlling forces of ourselves. You see, he just didn't come to just die for our sins so that we'd be in right relationship with him. That's true, he did. And he didn't just come to heal the deep wounds, the unseen wounds that are in our life. Yes, he did. He also wants to give you a power to overcome willpower. Take a look at Romans 6, 6 through 9. And if you want to understand the book of Romans, at least the first eight chapters of it, you need to read the book of Galatians. It's the commentary on Romans, okay? It says this in Romans 6, our old sinful selves we're nailed to the cross with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. <laughs> That's a hosanna right there. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share his new life. 
We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. I love the message translation uh, on this out of verse six. Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. We're no longer at sin's every beck and call. What's he saying? He's saying that we have a new power to resist bad habits when I call on the benefits that Christ has given me through his death. In other words, I've got another person on my side. I've got God on my side and I have his power that goes along with him. There's a question I've been pondering as I've been getting older, kind of moving towards retirement, not retiring. But I think it's appropriate for some of us who may be in that stage. In fact, I think it's appropriate even if you're not in that stage. And that is this question. What's your definition of freedom? What does freedom look like to you? Let me tell you what the typical response is, because I've been asking this question. And some have used curse words. To, to do as I blank feel like doing. Others have been more tame. To do whatever I feel like doing. And when I hear that response, I go, well, that's, that's great. But in my mind, I'm thinking, really? Feelings can be wrong. Do you realize that when you say, I'm just, freedom is just doing whatever I feel like doing, that you are giving your feelings authority over your life and that you are going to obey them. When I reframe that for them, they say, well, no, 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 Pastor George, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, that's not what I'm thinking, but guess what? That's how people operate. And yet when you look at life, most success in life comes from people not doing what they feel like doing, but rather living by their commitments. And that's called maturity. Maturity is doing what you have committed to do regardless of the feelings that you have. Folks, this morning, I did not feel like getting out of bed. It was cold. The room was a little chilly. I was snuggled up. Generally, I wake up on my own between 4.30 and 5. The alarm clock startled me at 5.30. I did not want to get out of bed. Mom, I don't want to go to church this morning. But mature people live by their commitments and not their feelings. Feelings can't be your God because if they are, you will be manipulated by them. You will be manipulated by the drives and the desires that are in your heart and they're not always right. Take a look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ just like Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. And I no longer live in strength alone, my strength. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How in the world does this happen? How do you and I begin to experience the benefits of 
of Christ's death on the cross, Good Friday, on Palm Sunday, where we can celebrate it. Where we can celebrate total forgiveness. Where we can celebrate deep healing. Where we can celebrate real freedom. Well, Paul gives us the answer. By faith. It happens in an atmosphere of faith. Folks, miracles happen in the atmosphere of faith. The miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of healing. The miracle of freedom. It happens in an atmosphere of faith. Hosanna! Folks, these are only three of the 50. Don't miss Easter. Invite your friends. Come to the picnic. The question is this. Who are these available to? Take a look at Acts 10.35. God accepts anyone from any nation. Stop right there. Does that mean Africa? Yeah. Does that mean North America? Yeah. Does that mean South America? Yeah. Does that mean Ecuador, Salvador? Yeah. Does that mean Asia? Yeah. Africa? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Philippines? Uh Uh-huh. It means all the nations or race who worships him and does what is right. Will you circle that phrase, does what is right? What is the right thing to do? It's to believe in the Son who the Father sent to die on the cross for you. I like the message out of this one too. It says, it makes no difference who you are. As I like to say, who you are, what you've done, who you've been with, and where you did it. Or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. You see, how do you get these benefits? Because Pastor George, I want them. I want forgiveness. I want healing. I I want freedom. How do I get these? Well, you get them by being adopted into the family. The life insurance policy that gives the death benefits, guess what? They only go to those who are in the family. When Cheryl and I made out that policy, only our kids and our grandkids get the death benefits. Why? Because they are a part of the family. You don't get the benefits until you are a part of the family. The question is this, are you in God's family. Well, how do you do that? John 1, 12. To all who believed in him and received him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. How you get in is by believing and receiving. Well, Pastor George, I I believe in Jesus. Great, you're halfway there. But you're not totally there completely. We live in the South. There's a church on every corner. People have heard about Easter. Oh yeah, I know some things about Jesus. They believe, but they haven't received. They haven't dropped Jesus 18 inches from their head into their heart. And understand this, it takes more than believing. You have to receive. The devil believes, folks, and he ain't going to heaven. He believes in the resurrection more than you do. He was there. He was the one that instigated it. He is the number one murderer in the world, in the universe. And he's not in heaven. 
You have to receive him. Have you done that yet? Have you developed a relationship, not a religion, where you just go through the motions and you do the right things in your mind? Have you developed a relationship where it has gone beyond a transaction, a transaction of just saying a prayer isn't going to do it. You cannot invite God, as big, as big as he is, into your life and him not transform you. If you don't see any transformation going on in your life, in your relationships, in your world, you have reason to question whether you have received him. Because it says it's more than a matter of just beliefs. And so have you done that? Because if you have, you get the benefits of total forgiveness, of deep healing, and of true freedom. And that is worth shouting about. Hosanna. Absolutely. Let's pray. I don't know where you're at, but you can't experience the benefits of total forgiveness where you don't care what you've done and who you tell, tell it to. Or deep healing of those Invisible wounds that only you and God know about. Or true freedom without being in relationship with him. Today, will you drop Christ from your head into your heart by just simply saying, God, I've known so much about you but I've never surrendered my life to you. And right now, I want to give you my life. The good, the bad, and the ugly things. And I thank you that you are God, that you defeated death and you were resurrected to seal the deal. And because of that, God, I right now shout, Hosanna. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for the healing that's going to start in my life as I praise you. Thank you for the freedom that I can begin to experience in your name. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, in your own words, it really doesn't matter. But if you said it and you meant it, would you just let me know? On your communication card, just give me your email address, maybe your name and email address. And on the back of it, just check the appropriate box of receive Christ into my life and throw it in the offering basket as it goes by so I can get in touch with you, so I can send you some literature that'll help you understand what you've just done. God, you're good. And on this day, as a part of your crowd, your people, we shout Hosanna. Great is the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, it's all about you. And this week, God, as we walk through this week, Holy Week, may your spirit remind us of who we are in Christ and those benefits that we have derived from your death, God, 
and that it's been sealed through your resurrection. So we give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.